This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome! This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today, we're talking about cheese grating. But before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. This spring, before this show was called No Bad Food, we held our second annual Munch Madness Bracket Tournament to determine the best food of the year. Countless judges phoned in week after week to cast their votes and decide which food was most worthy of the title, and in a finale that can only be described as not even remotely surprising and a total one-sided competition, Cheese defeated runner-up Pies and took home the title for 2021. As a result, I'm dedicated to delivering you a ton of cheesy content this year as a way of celebrating its victory. Now, as a lifelong fan of Cheese, but also a lifelong lactose intolerant, I've spent a lot of time eating different kinds of cheeses, trying to figure out which ones taste the best to me, which ones bother my stomach the least, and which ones toe the line between delicious and deadly, making the eternal gamble of, if I eat this, I will feel bad later, but it'll be worth it. My guest on this week's episode, Joshua Vandenberg, also spends a lot of time taste testing cheeses. Not to figure out which ones let him have solid poops, but as a means of quality assurance. He's a professional cheese grater and quality supervisor based out of Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin, the dairy capital of America. And he also judges cheese competitions. So, of course, I had to pick his brain about that as well. We get into what it takes to become a professional cheese grater, what goes into evaluating the quality of a piece of cheese, and he gives his advice on best practices for someone making their own cheese for the very first time. If you're a food nerd like me who likes to know how the sausage gets made, this episode will be right up your alley. Before we get into it, I wanted to let you know that I recently had the privilege of being a guest on the Heroes Don't Do Paperwork podcast over on the Podcavern Network. Uh, I play a character named Dr. Garfield, who is a high school guidance counselor who's uh, feuding with the cafeteria lady. I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. It's very silly. It's very fun. If you're into, you know, half-hour improvised character comedies, go check that out. I will include a link to it in the description of this episode for ease of access. All right, let's get to my conversation with Joshua Vandenberg. 
My guest today on No Bad Food is Joshua Vandenberg. Joshua has worked in food safety and quality for six years as a plant cheese grater, corporate cheese grater, and quality supervisor. He has his American-style grading license in the state of Wisconsin to grade cheddar, Monterey Jack, and Colby cheeses, loves setting up beer and cheese pairing parties, and has also helped out with the U.S. and world cheese competitions held in Wisconsin. He's judged for the Wisconsin State Fair and will be doing so again next month, or possibly this month. I can't remember when you sent me this email. <laughs> Joshua, thanks so much for joining me. Yep. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Just right out the gate. When is that uh, state fair happening? Uh, that'll be happening end of next month. Okay, cool. Yep. And we do our judging before the actual fair. So it's a couple weeks before the fair happens. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's get into it. How did you get into, you know, judging cheese and grading cheese? I was in between jobs. Uh, we were living in Texas and happened to move back home to Wisconsin for my wife's job. I was sort of just looking around and happened to find something that was in the the quality realm for a dairy plant and one of the qualifications was to grade cheese so I thought I would just go for it and ended up landing that job. What goes into grading cheese? So there's um, a lot more than you just kind of think. It's not just about eating cheese. Oh, does this taste good? Uh, with my job, you need to really understand what is this cheese going to be like a couple weeks down the line or months down the line while it's still on a, a store shelf is this something that's going to convert the way we need to like uh, a slice or a shred so it's not just about flavor it's about the texture the appearance of it how it'll work on uh, a production line so like do you need to have a background in like food science to get into this kind of work or what? How does how does one become a cheese grater? Sure. Um, it definitely helps to have a background. I had a background in biology. I went to mm -hmm. school for biology, so that definitely helped. Right. Because there's a lot of food safety that goes along with this microbiology. There's a fair amount of people in this line of work that do have like a, a food science degree. So that that definitely helps, but it's not necessary. Interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of figured because I'm uh, I'm actually I'm taking a uh, basic nutritional biology course this fall, and it got me thinking about like, oh, you know, that's got to be there's got to be people whose whole job is to know the ins and outs of how food works on a you know biological level in order to make sure that it's like safe for people to eat. Oh, definitely. Lots of studies and continuous studies. Things change when there's more information out there. What's been the most kind of unexpected thing about doing this kind of work for you? I would say just how much goes into the process of making cheese. At my plant, we're more on the converting side, so we don't make it. But part of learning this job is you need to understand how cheese is made and how it really can affect different uh, avenues of what's going to happen with that cheese. A cheese that's meant to be a mild cheddar, you can't just sit on it and then call it a sharp cheddar because it's not going to necessarily work for something like that. You need to really make that cheese a different way. All cheeses can't be just aged because it'll taste better because everything tastes better once it's aged. It's not really quite true. Right. Yeah, I guess there's some cheeses that are like created to be aged to a certain point. Well, I guess exactly. that every cheese really would be aged to a certain point. That makes sense. Yeah. Were you like a big cheese person before you got into this or did cheese kind of come to you as a result of the work? Like which came first, you know, the, the job or the passion? Probably the passion. I've always been interested in lots of different kinds of foods. Um, I used to be a home brewer and I've made cheese in the past too, uh, just 
for fun. Uh, so I've always kind of had that interest. Being from Wisconsin, I think it's ingrained in all of us that we have to love cheese. <laughs> if you're as familiar with that in Canada, but we're known as the dairy state. And so and that that definitely came first, just the interest in cheese. And then because I've always sort of been kind of a foodie, it just made the job a lot easier. Because part of my job would be trying terrible things or mm. things just to understand like why why is this cheese so sour or why is this taste i don't know just other off flavors then using that information and maybe going back to our suppliers hey this we're kind of finding this in it do you know what maybe happened on that that day you made the cheese you don't think about it in terms of like having to test things that you know are going to be bad in order to like be ready to identify that but i guess that makes a lot of sense yeah well training for this uh we were giving a bunch of different cheeses and they'd be like this is an example of something that tastes sour this is something that tastes sheepish or like lanolin um like a sheep's milk cheese one of the categories was barney and it literally tasted like you're in a barn oh no like cows and manure (laughs) and all that fun stuff so how does that happen do you know um it's just part of the make process that particular cheese is intended to be that way because they have a customer base that wants that interesting that kind of flavor and it might not be something that's eaten on its own but maybe they use it in a sort of dish and it complements that dish really well that's fascinating yeah i mean i could see like i could see in the right context that being that being good (laughs) i wouldn't want you know i wouldn't (laughs) want the cheese that i buy at the store to just taste like that unexpectedly i think that would be a a problem yeah definitely there's um there's cheeses that have a purpose and then there's cheeses that are just you can enjoy them on their own (laughs) if you're enjoying the show so far make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode while you're at it consider leaving a rating and review on apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend for every new rating and review i get during the month of may i'll be donating two dollars to the depot my local food bank here in montreal they can turn every one dollar into three dollars which means that your free rating and review does six dollars of good for a family in need you can read all about the work that they do at the link in the description below Now that the show has been heavily focused on food for a while, I went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are outdated and still talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast. So if you've already left a review in the past, take this opportunity to go update it, and I'll include that as a new review, even though it's technically just an update of an old one, because an accurate review is a lot more useful and helpful for new listeners than an inaccurate one. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode about plant-based cheeses, do yourself a favor and go queue that up to listen to it after this one. My guest, Greg Schultz, talks me through some of what he's learned about cheese substitutes since he went vegan, and we spit out some ideas of what we think would make a truly fantastic plant-based greasy spoon diner. Lastly, you're going to want to tune in next week for the start of LGBBQ, our series for the month of June, where I'll be chatting with a bunch of my queer friends about barbecue, mostly because that pun was too good to pass up, but also because I think there isn't enough queer representation in the barbecue world, and I wanted to do my own small part to change that as a queer person who loves barbecue. It's going to be really awesome. I've already recorded most of it at the time of this recording, and uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. All right, back to my conversation with Joshua Vandenberg. So 
in your introduction, I mentioned that you judge for state fairs and cheese competitions. What? Um, tell me about that. What what kind of goes into that? So generally, they're uh, broken down by different cheese categories. The last one I did, it was a lot of those American-style cheeses, so the Kobe, Cheddars, and... Monterey Jack. And so what we'll do is uh, they'll be broken down. So you'll have like just Monterey Jacks. You might have Monterey Jacks with flavorings. And then it's so it's broken down that there's a bunch of mini categories within the categories you're looking at it. It's usually two judges per category. So when you're looking at those cheeses, you're it's almost like you're still chewing on the cheese to get the flavor, the mouthfeel of it. You're kind of working it between your fingers to see if is it crumbly, is it is it nice and firm, if if the cheese is supposed to be firm. And then you sort of rate it generally on a scale of like a 1 to 100 with a bunch of different categories within how you're judging it. And then towards the end, they take the best of each category and then all the judges will grade all the top of each category, and then that's how they determine the winner. Interesting. What percentage would you say of the judging process is just based on like flavor, like based on you know your own your own enjoyment of eating the cheese? I guess I like to try to stay impartial because sure. there's definitely cheeses that might be a really good cheese for what that category is supposed to be. I might not enjoy it as much. So I try to always keep it in mind with that, but I'm still able to pick out, oh, does this have some acid to it? Does this have some sourness that shouldn't be there? Mm -hmm. And that's how I can kind of stay impartial and still picking that out. Part of the last category I had was flavored Havarti and a lot of cheesemakers really like to flavor Havarti with dill. I mm. cannot stand dill. So <laughs> it was that was a tough category for me to judge, but it's still important of like, does this still taste like a good cheese? Does the dill taste fresh? Is it kind of lost its umph? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's fair. I, <laughs> that's funny. I, I've had a lot of flavored Havartis. I don't think I've ever had a Havarti flavored with dill. Yeah, it uh, for some reason it's fairly popular around here. And Havarti just because it's a very clean cheese, mm. some butter notes and stuff. I think it takes to those extra flavors really well. So it, that seems to be a popular cheese to have all those additional flavors added. But well, that makes sense. I've definitely had Havarti with like various herbs in it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yep. it's nice. It has that kind of creaminess to it that uh, that lends itself well to that. I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. If you had to give advice to somebody who was making a cheese for the first time because you know people make homemade cheeses artisanal things Mm -hmm. whatever what would be your advice to them to make sure that they're making a good product like a product that you would give an a sure um first off i would start with start with something simple don't go too crazy start and then start just perfecting that don't your first cheese shouldn't be something that you want to age a year and Uh, mess around with that just stick to like uh, a ricotta or a mozzarella when you get that down then start dabbling more make sure your process is really clean you want to make sure all your utensils and everything like that are sanitized clean before using it Um, you want to make sure you have the space to use it you'd be kind of surprised how much counter space you might need when you're making cheese and you don't want to last minute try to move all your dirty dishes out of the way or something (laughs) like that 
and then uh, just make sure you take your time, understand your directions and let the process, the science part of it do its job and you try to just set it up for success. I like that. I think I think too often we try stuff and we go way too hard right out of the gate and that ends right. up being our downfall. So anytime yeah. that I'm talking to someone and they're like, really just like pick the simplest thing and get good at it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mozzarella cheese might be really boring to you, but get that down before you start getting into like some cave ripened stuff or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah get really good at, at mozzarella and then you'll have something that you can make while you wait a year for your cheddar to age right definitely. <laughs> yeah, honestly if mozzarella is boring to you then you might need to just see a doctor about that <laughs> mozzarella is beautiful i no, i do love mozzarella just uh, it it usually doesn't have those complexities of say mm. another like a 10 year old age cheddar or sure. something yeah. but f- fresh mozz some basil olive oil tomatoes i'm a happy camper yeah exactly get a little uh caprizi yeah exactly no i feel that i'm definitely uh i'm definitely a like sharp cheddar person if i had to pick like a desert island cheese or whatever i would go for mm-hmm. the most aged cheddar imaginable and just sit there and let it kind of hit me you know yep that actually you know really smoothly brings me to my next question which is you know Obviously, as someone who has to grade cheese professionally, you've got to be impartial most of the time. But in your own life, what is your favorite? What's your go-to? It's hard for me to pinpoint a specific favorite, but I do tend to gravitate towards cheeses that have more of an age on them. So I'll stick to like some parms and aged gouda, uh, some cheddars. I really like. I like something where it gets to that point um, where it has like some tyrosine crystals in it i'm not sure if you're familiar with i are, but um if you've ever had like a an aged cheese that has little almost crunchy bits in it mm, yeah you'll find that in parm quite a bit or anything like nine ten months old or older and that what that is is uh it's a breakdown of the proteins in the cheese um tyrosine is amino acid so what that happens is that's breaking down it and it sort of hardens and you get what some people call flavor crystals so something like that to me it's like it tells me like this is a nice aged cheese um you get a lot of different notes from it i feel like it when you're eating that cheese it has a long evolution Mm. so like when you're first trying it and then you're eating on it and then um even after you swallow it something when we're grading cheese we like to do is Uh, It's called frogging, where you kind of um, breathe in through your nose and sort of close your mouth, but try to exhale a little bit so your cheeks puff out. Okay. And we'll we'll do that often when we're grading to get a couple extra notes and flavor notes to pick out. Ah, that's fascinating. What kind of um, what kind of flavors show up when you do that that don't show up otherwise? It's some other so uh, some defects can show up. You'll get um, maybe some lipase if it's not supposed to be there, which is like a butyric acid. Uh, you might get that. Um, it's supposed to be in, say, a, a provolone um, or uh, Romano has it a little bit. But you don't want to see that in other cheeses. Um, it's Sometimes it's referred to as like a, a baby puke flavor okay so, sure <laughs> um, but, but otherwise we would we'd call it um 
like lipase right. and, and that's just uh that's lipase is uh, an enzyme that's kind of breaks down the fats and it creates kind of like that soapy flavor that you might find right it's supposed to be in some cheeses but most cheeses you're not supposed to find that right yeah that's um, fair yeah. <laughs> yep yeah as soon as you said romano i was like oh i know where this is going <laughs> yep <laughs> that's funny this is fascinating just like thinking about the because of course it makes sense that like you know when you age a cheese when you age anything right like i'm uh over the summer i'm going to be doing a lot of work with homemade sausage i've got uh i got a cookbook that's like you know something like 80 sausage recipes and my plan is to try and you know go through it one by one doing each of them and of course there's all the fresh sausage that's like you know you Mm -hmm. could even just do this as a patty if you want to but there is a section on all of the like cured ones and smoked ones and I did a little like reading up on the you know cured sausage and like a huge part of the process is just kind of letting it rot a little bit (laughs) and like letting those those proteins break down in a way that still keeps it edible like it's it's safe to eat but it is like you know almost fermented um yeah and i love i love knowing the sort of science behind that of like yeah these are the the fats breaking down in ways that create different textures and flavors and that's so cool and that yeah and that's basically what cheese is is fermented milk and i mean it was kind of made by accident thousands of years ago with uh carrying milk with like a calf gut and then it started to coagulate it was a way to preserve cheese, though, or preserve milk back in, like, in the, the hunter-gatherer kind of era. Right. Where it was, so it was made by accident, but it was a way for them to preserve something. They didn't have to waste milk. They could turn it into cheese. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of um, a lot of the stuff that we eat today that we get excited about, you know, things like like cheese and pickles and uh and wine Mm -hmm. were all things that started as preservation methods right yeah definitely they definitely didn't taste as good as they do now (laughs) but it was a start (laughs) yeah well yeah you know we've we've got the advantage of thousands of years of uh innovation or whatever right yes (laughs) (laughs) i love that oh man well hey i have i guess one final question for you about this you know cheese grating world Uh, and that is if you were giving advice to someone who wanted to go into the line of work that you're in what would you suggest they do um i would say understand a bunch of different cheeses like get a feel how are they made really start um trying different cheeses understanding like those different flavors you can pick out like not that this is a cheddar really break down the different flavors you're gonna get try different varieties of the same cheese like from different companies understand how they're different um and then obviously it, it with any type of food job um sanitation and understanding those concepts are really important too so that'll go that'll help anywhere in the food industry is just really understanding the cleanliness and sanitation and those types of requirements as well yeah fair enough that actually the the tasting two of the same cheese from different companies uh Mm -hmm. raised a question for me that i am curious about i know that when you're tasting, you know, wine or coffee, you'll often have, you know, a spit bucket where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, like, you know, I've tasted this and I'm not going to swallow it. I'm going to move on to the next thing. How do you do that with cheese? Do you just swallow it? Do you, do you have to eat like a hundred no. <laughs> little bites of cheese per day? What's the deal? Oh, no, we actually, we do often spit as well. Okay. So, <laughs> yep. Otherwise, um, 
and it, it helps too because if like as you know you you swallow something you can still kind of taste it right you don't want that to like cover up the next cheese you're gonna eat right yeah uh, that so, was yeah that was gonna be the the sort of second part of that question was like is there a trick to making sure that the previous flavor is gone by the time you get the next one in yeah um, and then when we're doing judges, judging when we are trying hundreds of cheese, we'll sometimes have like crackers or like an apple or something mm-hmm. available, saline water to kind of help clear that palate. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> kind of neutralize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Well, Joshua, thank you. This was really informative and really cool. I'm, uh, I didn't know. I mean, you know, this is one of those things where you kind of know in the back of your mind, like that this kind of job exists like surely there mm-hmm. is someone whose job is to make sure that the cheese is right but like i hadn't really like ever thought about that in a like practical sense of like okay how does this actually work so i really appreciate you phoning in and taking the time to like educate us on that yeah no problem it's been great um do you have any like final thoughts on this or any stuff that you want people to check out plugs to things that i can throw links to in the description of this episode anything you think um, people should go to no i would just uh tell folks maybe get out of their element try some cheeses they never had before um and just check that out check out your uh maybe local dairies and see if there's something you haven't heard of try that i i'm always a big fan of uh (laughs) we have at like farmers markets here in montreal there's always a cheese store or two and they'll always have Mm -hmm. the sort of you know three for whatever bins where you can get like a couple of cheeses you know three different kinds of cheese from this bin for 15 dollars, for instance whereas mm-hmm. normally they'd be like eight bucks a piece and i always love to if i do that kind of thing i'll make sure that one of them is something i've never had before yeah it's <laughs> it's always great to explain your palate <laughs> cool well thank you so much this is great all right thank you take care Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do we miss something you think we absolutely should have talked about? Tell me all about it on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that is appealing to you, once again, that's patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod. There's a link in the description for ease of access. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Tee Public. and of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but not least, this show was produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week for the start of LGBBQ. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender.
Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. <laughs> Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.